Welcome to Lumiant Live. I'm your host, Mark Ackroyd. Lumiant Live is the podcast for advice professionals that believe in a values-based advice experience, but still have that question, how does it all work? We connect listeners with other advice professionals to hear best practice client stories or business examples and lift the lid on how they made it happen. Now, on to today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lumiant Live. Um, today I'm joined by Matt Brinker from Merchant. G'day, Matt. Nice to nice to have you. Thanks, Mark. It's good to see you, man. How you been? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. Really good. Um, recording here today live from Chicago, and we've got you over on the West Coast in LA or just outside uh, of LA? New, Newport Beach. Newport, Newport Beach, Beach. Which is just a little south of Los Angeles by about 60 miles. Yeah, awesome. Uh, great. Well, good, good to have you on board, Matt. Um, this is going to be a really cracking conversation for us here, a, a little bit different sort of episode uh, and content to, to what we've had. So let me let me roll into your bio and then we'll have a bit of a chat and it'll start to make a bit of sense for our, our audience here. So for those that don't know Matt Brinker, Matt's a managing partner focused on evaluating new investment opportunities for merchant and helping partner firms work through strategic and operational initiatives for growth and scale. Before working at Merchant, Matt was a Chief Business Development Officer and Head of Acquisitions for United Capital, where he and his partners grew assets from $300 million to $25 billion. Matt was responsible for United's acquisition strategy, that's a hard word, uh, which led to 90 transactions over 15 years. And additionally, Matt launched and grew United's wealth tech platform, growing assets to $23 billion AUM uh, before United was purchased by Goldman Sachs in 2019. Matt's an investor and board member for several wealth tech companies, one of which is uh, is Lumiant. So uh, it probably makes a bit of sense as well. We've got Matt on. Um, but outside of all that amazing work stuff that Matt does, he lives in Newport Beach, which we've covered with his wife and two children, and he's passionate about backcountry skiing, surfing, and endurance races, as he is about working with founders and fellow entrepreneurs. So Matt, it's, a, it's an impressive bio, um, and it's sort of should start to click for our group today while we've got you on because some of the stats and, and what you're able to achieve at United and what you're doing at Merchant around identifying growth opportunities, helping businesses you know, maximise their business value is, is what we're going to end up talking about. But outside of your bio, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do at Merchant. Well, um, yeah, so thanks for the intro. It's good to be here, Mark. Um, you know, look, for the way that we think about um, how we invest at Emergent is that we're really truly investing in, in independence. And, um, you know, my former firm, we bought 100% stakes in firms and, um, you know, they integrated fully and, you uh, you know, we're effectively W-2 employees, went from entrepreneurs to W-2 employees. And, you know, you you see a lot of behavioral changes in when people go from, you know, um, owning their firms to not owning their firms. And so um, Merchant is very much focused in, in being a minority investor in, in firms where the majority of the um, the equity and, the, and and thus the outcome is left to the founders and and, and the entrepreneurs. And so, um, you know, we we also think of ourselves as um, operators who happen to be investors, 
um, versus just people who invest in wealth management. And it's a very important um, distinguishing characteristic about us and, and, and what we do in terms of how we approach our partner firms, meaning that we know what it's like to build and scale wealth management businesses. Me and my partners um, have operated um, in the wealth management space um, across the spectrum, you know, from startups to running some of the biggest banks in the world, like Goldman Sachs. So uh, we we bring what we hope is a lot of interesting things to bear to our partners. And um, so it's been, it's, it's just been, it's been a ton of fun. We've invested in um, 63 wealth management firms here. Um, it's about, you know, north of 140 billion of AUM. Um, we've, we've started to expand internationally, which has been really fun, um, in Brazil and, um, and, and Switzerland and looking to expand further in, in other markets. Yeah, that's really impressive, mate. And, you know, I think it sets a really good tone for what we're going to, to discuss today, because, um, just going through your expertise, the work you do at Merchant, the work you used to do uh, at United Capital, it's probably fair to say you've seen your fair share of impressive and, and maybe not so impressive advice businesses um, when you're when you're looking to invest in them. So, you know, when we go to, to start talking about what you look for in a strong business before you invest and the impact, you know, things like a great client experience have on uh, a good advice business valuation, It'll probably make sense to everyone that you know you've got a fair fair chunk of experience as to to what's what's worked and what hasn't. So, if we if we launch straight into it, Matt, um, tell us a little bit about. Let's start really high level here. When you're you're looking at a, a business and um, and assessing its value and and trying to figure out, you know, is it a good business to invest in from a financial advice perspective? Um, what is it that you look out for? Let's start there. Yeah, for us, I mean, it's, you know, the financials um, for these businesses are are relatively relatively straightforward. There's just not a lot of complexity in the, the cap tables and um, the P&Ls, the income statements and the balance sheet. There's just not a lot of complexity in these businesses, which um, – uh, it makes the assessment of them relatively easy through a qualitative or through a quantitative lens. And so, um, you know, we're, we're really more interested in the, the quality of the leadership and the quality is a pretty broad um, frame, but uh, this really comes down to the underlying vision of the founder or the CEO um, you know, how they think about the future of, of, of wealth management. Um, are they, you know, wholly obsessed by, um, you know, uh, making sure that the client um, experience is just exceptional, um, that they're dedicated to developing the next generation of advisors, um, that they're thoughtful about the career development. Um, of their team, um, how they think about branding and marketing, uh, how they think about the combination of growing organically and being mindful of the sort of the opportunity cost and the client acquisition cost measured against growing through acquisitions. 
Um, and so it really is a, um, all that sort of boils down to a, uh, you know, a really good person who's dedicated to the business um, and is focused on, on growth and constant improvement um, within their personal lives and also their, their careers. And, um, you know, we've been very fortunate that most of our partner firms fit squarely into, um, into those, those categories. Yeah. 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 I think, I think it's a really cool way to look at it. Um, yeah. Just investing in good people, right? Good people equals good business. I assume I've never been on the investment side or the investor side uh, of the business, but I assume you could get lulled in sometimes into that false sense of what financially looks like a good business, but may not have good people behind it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you only got to look as far as Australia. We've gone through the Royal Commission. There's a there's a history potentially in our industry of, of you know, not necessarily doing good by doing good, for lack of a better term. So right. how do you how do you assess that? What is it? What is it that you look for within a good founder and a good business? You, you mentioned, obviously, the high level stuff. But like, do you go through an interview process? Are you looking sure. through the numbers? Like talk, talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. How do you, how do you test if they're a good person? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I have this belief that there's a sort of a, um, a, a mean regression to who you truly are. If you spend enough time with somebody, like if I spend an hour with you, and I can be pretend to be a really good guy for an hour. I can pretend to be a really good guy for maybe four or five hours. But man, you spend enough time with somebody, inevitably there's that you're gonna get to who the essence of of, of this. So we we'd like to spend a lot of time with our, our potential partners. Um and you know, I mean, like there's little small tells, like how do you how do you treat a waiter at a, at a at, um at a at, at dinner? Right. Like, um, you know, staff turnover is an incredibly important tell. Right. Um, staff tur- to high staff turnover is indicative of um, several things that may be broken with the culture of the firm. Um, so we we do a pretty good job of, of really sort of measuring for for culture. And it's. Culture is 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 so often so talked about in our industry and how important it is. And um, but in the same breath, it's incredibly difficult to define. And um, you know, to me, culture is just a microcosm of multiple actions. Like literally, like you know, do you take take the Keurig cup out of the Keurig coffee holder when you're done? Like that is a microcosm of culture. And, you know, I always tell my kids, you know, how you tie your shoes is how you're going to run your life. And I'm like, what in goodness gracious are you talking about? You know what I mean? It's like one of those dadisms where, um, you know, it's just like, but it's, 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 it's just sort of the, 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 the you know, the, the things that we do um, at the smallest scale sort of can extrapolate out to the bigger picture. And I think that's very true with, with with culture and um, and bad culture is very hard to hide. It's very hard to hide, and um, it's but it's also pretty nuanced. Um, but if you know what you're looking for, it's super easy to super super easy to identify. 
yeah 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 it's 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 yeah you can spot you can spot bad culture just by scratching under the surface i guess i think it's a really heartening way to to look at it um and it probably gives us a really good segue or pivot into what we really want to get into today which is the impact a great client experience would have on business valuations and how you assess a business you know you you've mentioned already um, you look for things like the vision of the founder and CEO uh, that they're giving back to the next generation or they're developing the next generation and, and, and you know, developing people's careers. They've got um, good branding and marketing. They, they're growing organically. You know, all of those, in, in our biased opinion here at Lumion, <laughs> um, would, would be reflections of a good client experience. But maybe let's take it from your perspective when you're looking at a business and, and you're looking at their client experience, what is it that it tells you and what is it that you're looking for um, and how does it play into the overall business valuation? Sure. Well, I, I mean, it's without a client experience, there's no business, right? Because what we're paid for effectively is what our clients experience. And... Um, you know, the client experience can be so immensely broad from, um, you know, a, a, an incredibly expensive wrap of ETFs that you can buy from Wealthfront for 25 basis points that you're charging 125 basis points um, to something as completely holistic and robust and something that completely encompasses the client across not only their pure financial needs, but also um, the things that truly matter to their lives and their family lives around their values and their financial values. And so the financial experience is, is, is obviously a very wide and broad spectrum. And, um, you know, you start diving into and looking at the firms that are, um, whether it's measured in net promoter score, whether it's measured in percentage of wallet, um, the, you know, the total AUM and net worth of the client, um, the rate at which um, clients are referring, um, you know, the um, just, you know, which obviously reflects in overall, just the overall growth rate of the business can be tied to one singular thing and that's the client experience. And, you know, there's a clear delineation of firms that are growing and firms that are growing and that are not growing. And if you go really and dive into and study the firms that are growing, the common theme in that is truly an obsession on, um, on the client experience, which most of what we're seeing and most of what I'm seeing is that, it's truly an expansion of um, of services that go well beyond, you know, kind of even if you kind of rewind the tape 20 years ago, 15 years ago, um, you know, holistic wealth planning was just a, a bit of sort of the cutting edge client experience. And now, you know, so many firms have leaped so far in surrounding the client with estate and tax solutions. Um, and, and as you're sort of seeing this now focus, and I think I read a, literally something just the other day that actually I need to share with, with you all around just the focus on, on, on behavior and values and the clients wanting to engage with their financial advisors in that capacity. 
Um, you know, I had the luxury of having front row seats to watching um, how um, the behavioral finance digital engagement process that we we built at my old firm um, had, I mean, a transformational impact on not only the businesses that were running the system, but the lives of the people that went through this experience. And um, what we found was, uh, you know, these were clients that had 15, 20 plus years relationships with our, our advisors in these firms. And, you know, you know, anecdotally, and this is what just would fire me out of bed every morning was hearing the advisor say, you know, I ran my clients through this um, client experience and I learned things about them that I had no idea. And this was, these are, these were advisors that had deep, long relationships with clients and they were, you know, through this process, they were able to sort of unpack and understand really what was going in their financial lives and why they more importantly were behaving a certain way. Because if you think about, um, you know, how, how do clients impact their financial outcome? It, it isn't necessarily, you know, earning a greater, higher return or making more money or saving more money. Those things matter. Um, but where we can make transformational impact on clients' lives is changing their behavior, right? Changing how they, how they, how they perform, how they, how they think about money, how they interact with money, how they um, engage with their spouses and their family around money um, is where I think we as an industry have so much room to improve on and so much opportunity in front of us uh, to truly transform um, clients' lives. And so I saw, I had, you know, I had the pleasure of having front row seats of watching, um, watching that, watching that happen. And then, you know, uh, Another sort of interesting anecdotal part to this, and we really focused on this, and I know Lumian's doing the same, which is, um, you know, oftentimes there's a, a um, there's there's somebody in the relationship where they don't have a strong um, financial voice or advocate in the room um, to talk about the things that are happening uh, through their lens in their financial lives, right? Because oftentimes it's um, you know, this is my, uh, this is my client and his wife. Right. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard that introduction a handful of times and, um, you know, I think we all know the stats, right? Like, you know, 72% of women are firing their advisor the, the minute their husband passes and, um, the amount of money that, that, um, you know, women are going to control and most people that are, that aren't typically engaged with tend to be women, generally speaking. Um, and you know, if we're not right, having meaningful conversations with them beyond, uh, literally Greek, right. Like literally sharp ratio and beta and, you know, and, and, you know, the, you know, typically, uh, you know, the clients are like, oh yeah, I don't sharp ratio bad. You know, and there they are, Investorpedia, Google searching, sharp ratio. What the heck is sharp ratio, right? And, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And they, you know, they, know, they know the Greek alphabet through alpha and beta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spot on. Exactly right. So anyway, it's a long-winded answer to your question. I like it. Hey, um, Lumion Live is a, a place for long-winded answers, so don't, don't, uh, don't ever feel the need to apologize for that. It's, uh, you're in a safe space here. 
uh, I give long, long, long-winded questions. So yeah, it feels like yeah. an appropriate response. Uh, you mentioned a couple of things in there that I'd love to unpack a little bit. Um, let's start with the non-financial spouse. And I love the statement you started with when you, you launched into that, which is typically you hear from advisors, here's my client, and then here's his wife. Um, what does that, when you hear that, what does that tell you or what impact might that have on how you view their business as a potential investor? Outdated. Uh, yeah. Right. Integrated, you know, um, undoubtedly. Like, and I, and I think that um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's dangerous to sort of extrapolate on an anecdotal example yeah. into the broader industry. And I, um, you know, I, I, you know, I think you uh, are seeing younger-led firms. Uh, being very mindful of not only the you know the generational differences in terms of how clients want to engage, but also across um, you know also across genders too as well. Um, and you know I think you know again I mean it, it all you can't hide um, you can't hide in uh, you can't hide the numbers. Right, like it all sort of, all sort of, you know, manifests itself and, and, and articulates itself somewhere, somewhere in, 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 in the numbers. Where, like I said, you know, if you're not growing, um, you know, it's uh, it's probably because you're not engaging the total opportunity set within your business, right? Like you're you're missing something, uh, you're missing something in your business um, that is tied to how you think about you know, who your ideal client is, how you face up to your ideal client, what is the ultimate client solution. Um, and yeah, I mean, those, those firms just probably just aren't growing at the, um, at the rates that the more thoughtful and progressive firms are growing at. Yeah. I think there's plenty to unpack there, but before we do that, let's, let's sit and define growing really quickly. Cause I think that's a, an interesting definition in this day and age in the in the financial advice industry because uh, many an advice firm would say they're growing through acquisition, but through speaking to you, I know that you, know, you have a firm belief on differentiating inorganic growth and and organic growth, um, and there's a significant impact that that plays on how you you view a business. Can you can you elaborate on how you define that and the you know your views on inorganic versus organic? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, obviously, uh, inorganic growth or acquisitions uh, is really effectively, in most cases, um, you know, financial engineering, and it all sort of trickled down to your client acquisition costs and the lifetime value of the client, right? And you know, I'm sure there's some really smart financial engineers that walk through those calculations and, you know, we, we think about those things as well. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's sort of how I think about, um, you know, inorganic growth, um, inorganic growth also, uh, can be, and is an incredibly powerful tool. Um, uh, and it's, I guess I would think about it as the, um, I think a lot of people think about inorganic growth as um, raising money, buying a business, and then 
integrating the business. And to me, that's about 25% of it, right? And so on the inorganic side, that, that balance, that extra 75% becomes then, um, how do I integrate the client? How do I ensure that the client stays? Um, how do I make sure uh, that uh, I don't have a lot of attrition post-transition? Um, how do I make sure that I'm capturing all of the wallet share and, um, and the like? And so, um, again, you know, really good businesses that have the operational scale, the professional management, uh, unique client experience, the marketing and branding are in such a better position to acquire because they're effectively hedging out a lot of the uh, execution risk in making sure that when they buy a business, it stays, it grows, it thrives, which obviously improves your, your, your rate of return. So um, I think about organic growth, uh, inorganic growth to, um, really should be done only by a subset of firms. Um, so, but that's, that's a bit of an opinion on the organic side, the, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about organic growth, but we also have to understand the net net number, right? And I'm very, I'm, I'm always drilling into that net net number, right? So you might be stacking the clients up on the top end, but you got massive attrition, right? Coming out the bottom of the funnel. Um, you might have an older client segmentation that's in distribution. So the organic piece is a little bit, is a, is a little bit nuanced. Thanks for tuning in to part one of our two-part series with Matt Brinker of Merchant. Stay tuned next week where we'll further uncover the metrics that matter and how having a values-led client experience can impact these for business valuations. As always, hit the like and subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all our episodes. And thanks again for listening.